Welcome to the Aster Economic Week in Review. My name is John X. Simon, the Chief Investment Officer of Aster Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Nick Porter. Nick, hello. Hi, John. We're recording this on Thursday, the 28th. We get our first peak at Q1 GDP, and it was a little bit weaker than expected, right? Yeah, a little bit weaker. It fell at 1.4%. That's quarter over quarter. Seasonally adjusted and annualized. Year over year, it was up 36 and so a bit of a disappointing number, I think, when economists' a consensus was up about 1%. So the headline was a bit weak, but of course, if you look behind those numbers, I think they don't really tell the whole story. Yeah, so final sale to domestic purchasers actually accelerated a little bit in the first quarter up above both the last two quarters of last year, for example. And that effect is even stronger if you limited the private sales. And so what's the difference would be uh, trade and inventories, right? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So there's a few different ways of, of slicing up the national accounts. One is to think about things in terms of final domestic demand. This is from the demand side. When final domestic demand is things like private consumption, private fixed investment, government investment. And then if you add to that inventory investment, which you just talked about, you get total domestic demand. And then if you add the foreign balance, which is exports minus imports, to the total domestic demand, you get GDP. If you're sort of a, a growing economy or you're running a current account deficit you know, for a long time, you might be concerned about the foreign balance. But here in the US, we have exorbitant privilege and I tend to fixate a little bit more on final domestic demand, which again is things local to the US economy. And those numbers were still quite strong. So really, I think the story here, as you said, was inventories as well as the trade balance. I think we probably mentioned in January or February, where we talked about last quarter's numbers that we probably thought the inventory was due for a rebound. One other piece of news from the national accounts I'll mention is that the stock of excess savings is finally no longer growing. So there's still a lot of excess savings, probably $2 trillion more, but that level, we're not really adding to it at the same pace that we were. And combined with that, we do see goods spending being sort of less overdone and spending being less underdone. Those are still both goods is still above its long-term average, services below its long-term average, but both of those are going back towards their averages as the economy normalizes and fits and starts. Right. And I think the other thing to mention on that is that government consumption has actually been a net drag on GDP for the past two quarters. Yep, and will be for the foreseeable future, I think, also. And so, like, I guess in a nutshell, like, I see the economy still is continuing to grow at a solid pace, probably an above average pace, and still the process of normalization uh, continues. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the U.S. consumer has been a continued source of strength for the domestic economy, and I think the real threats are really sort of abroad. Things like. It's like obviously imported oil prices, but also here domestically, the Fed and their reaction function. I think that's what we call a segue, right? That's a segue. So the Fed is meeting next week and widely expected to raise rates and start selling off treasuries or letting treasuries and agencies run off. What's your view of what the Fed's likely to do? I don't think we really have any real surprises around the corner. You sort of came into this year with 25 bips pretty solidly on the table. And now they've communicated that a hike of 50 basis points is very much the likely outcome, not just for this meeting, but the next meeting, and perhaps even 
the median after that. So in terms of the actual moves that they make to policy rates and to quantitative tightening, I think those are all pretty much well in hand and basically priced in by the market. I think where we'll see a little bit more divergence is forward guidance and their thoughts on the pace of hikes and the state of the US economy, as well as their inflation forecasts to come. For what it's worth, the Fed Fund's futures market is pricing in 50 basis cuts at each of the next three meetings. Now it's May, June, and then July, which would bring the rates up to, say, 175 or one or two, something like that. And I do think that we'll see if they're, they're raising 50 basis points a meeting, and then they'll sort of see where they are in terms of inflation. There aren't super obvious signs of inflation moderating anytime soon. I think, you know, again, like the inflation, most of the inflation is not due, in my view, is not due to factors, to monetary factors, right? It's due to real constraints in supply and maybe a little bit because of people's excess. I mean, maybe the excess savings I was talking about before is meeting that too, but I don't see, I, I guess the, it's still up in the air whether the Fed is going to decide that only a recession is going to bring inflation under control. Yeah, that's a really important point. And it sort of brings up this idea that I've been kicking around. The Fed has, of course, had to abandon the transitory narrative because, of course, inflation hasn't been transitory. But the fundamental issue, and I think the real heart of the problem is that there hasn't really been any structural changes in the U.S. economy that would suggest that inflation is sort of this durable phenomenon, that something has changed, there's been a regime shift in the way the U.S. comports itself. I think you can point the finger pretty easily at pretty tight supply chains and sort of lingering effects from COVID. And if that's the case, does the Fed really believe that hiking rates into a recession is the best way to solve this? Or is it to really be patient and even maybe be a little bit appreciative of inflation that we've seen? That's a pretty difficult argument to make when U.S. consumers are being hit by inflation, but I do think it is plausible. Right. And I think also like the gain in terms of income gains is still sort of concentrated at the lower end of the income spectrum. I think the Fed is probably okay with that, though in aggregate, like the US, like workers are not keeping up with inflation, right? Which I think is, again, we've talked about a bunch of times about how consumer confidence is quite low considering how strong the economy is. I think that that's a relationship there. So in terms of other economic news, there's some news coming out about the housing market where one of the interesting phenomenons now is that housing permits and housing starts are extremely far apart compared to where they usually are. And that's being interpreted as continued supply chain problems specific to the construction sector or houses under construction or being under construction for longer because they can't get, if you can't get the plumbing fixtures and you can't finish the house or whatever, I think is the story that people are telling. There are some surveys saying that the supply bottlenecks are getting better in the construction world, but I think we have yet to see that. And the number of houses for sale is still quite low. Again, savings is high. And I I guess I'm saying that I see further strength in the housing market, like what's going to cause it weakness. Well, the mortgage rates might, but the mortgage rates are fine. The problem is like, if you have a mortgage, like you're not going to move now, maybe because you've got a 3% mortgage and you'd have to get a 6% one as well as buy a more expensive house. But I think the housing market is, is in good shape for continued strength. Yeah, it's interesting. This is not a 
it's not a data series that I follow all that closely, but I did see that new home sales are down 8.6% month over month. And I think the survey was about down 0.6%. So pretty big miss there. Do you have a sense, is that really, you know, mostly supply related? Is the demand still there or are mortgage rates starting to bite a little bit? I think mortgage rates will be starting to bite for new mortgages. Absolutely. Right. And the, a new home would probably be a new mortgage, but in general, so they, if you look at the new houses for sale, the ones that are under construction are at an all-time, the highest they've been since the bubble, right? And so like the overall new houses for sale is quite low, but the number of houses under construction that are for sale is high as people are having a hard time finishing the houses. So I think that might be part of it. So I think we will leave it there. We will be back after the unemployment report, which will be, I'll be uh, on with Rob Hope we get that to you uh, next Friday or Monday. Then we'll talk to Nick again, probably after the next inflation number. If you want more of our views of the economy, you can look at the Aster website, asterim.com. We've got a blog there. You can download the Aster Research app, or you can reach out to your Aster sales representative. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asteriam.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management LLC is a SEC registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change, they are not intended as investment recommendations.